Hello and welcome to The World Ahead with Allianz on Monocle 24. This special documentary series seeks answers to some of the toughest questions confronting the world, whether it's changing demographics and ageing populations, to the trials posed by climate change or mass migration, you'll hear bright analysis and fresh insight from an expert global panel. Over five episodes, you'll hear Monocle's editors and special guests discuss everything from urbanisation and education to commerce and technology and how they will shape our future. We'll feature extended reports from around the world, scene setters from key markets and expert roundtables where we'll bid to answer some of those key questions. Today's instalment explores the issue of ageing populations and considers how countries, corporations and individuals might best react to the unprecedented global shift in demographics that confronts us today and seems certain to shape the years ahead. We'll ask, how do you keep a generation of older people mentally mobile? And we'll hear special reports from nations that lead the way. We're going to ask the tough questions, but we'll also consider whether some of the received wisdom out there can be challenged by lessons learnt from those brave and enterprising people who believe that the world's older population offers far more in the way of inspiration than their advancing years pose in terms of challenges. So settle in for 30 minutes that might just change your world. You're listening to Monocle 24, and this is The World Ahead. We've already discussed some of the broad demographic changes in this series. Ageing populations all around the world pose new and complex challenges for all societies, for governments, supranational groups, the private sector and individuals alike. We start by exploring that meeting point of all those groups and asking whether the way in which the private sector works in concert with government will shape our response to the challenge. Michael Heiser is Chief Economist of Allianz Group. I think the private sector is very much involved in meeting the challenges of aging societies. I think the, if you will, social responsibility uh, of the private sector is going to rise markedly in this demographic change. We do expect that uh, particularly strongly in Germany, of course, where we have a strong aging tendency in our uh, society already in the next 15 years, but even more so um, over the longer term. Uh, and that uh, creates a lot of uh, demands on, um, of course, uh, the income that people have reserved for their old age, for illnesses and so on. It creates income on the services that are provided uh, to these people. It places uh, demands on the infrastructure that needs to be suited for older people. And uh, it needs, of course, uh, job opportunities and training opportunities for elderly people to be able to participate in the workforce, uh, even if they have passed uh, the 65 or the 67, maybe some uh, years down the road, and still can play a very productive role in our economy. Um, All these changes uh, are vital uh, within the private sector and will be triggered to a big extent in the private sector. Uh, And therefore, uh, this uh, uh, aging is, of course, also uh, an opportunity. It's not only a challenge, it's it's also an opportunity to create new markets and, and new business. Michael Heiser was talking about a German perspective, yes, but also about the productive role older people can play and the opportunities that this expanding demographic provides in terms of new markets. We hear next from Ian Bremer, the president and founder of Eurasia Group, the leading global political risk research and consulting firm. Ian's an expert in risk horizon for this year and beyond, but let's take a longer-term view. 
How is the issue of ageing being tackled around the world? And what's the nature of the key challenges in Ian's view? Well, it's, it's a radically different sort of problem for different countries, right? I mean, so it's playing out very significantly right now, right now, in Saudi Arabia, where they've had an extraordinarily young population that has exploded. It's not particularly productive. They've not diversified the economy away from oil. They're running out of cash, and they can't pay their people the way they used to, and yet the entire government, its legitimacy has been based on writing checks. So demographics are helping to bring that government down, and is one of the main reasons why we see the level of insecurity and the lashing out vis-a-vis Iran that you're seeing in the headlines right now. Now, I mean, longer term, you have uh, you look at China, and uh, many people have uh, commented on how they get old before they get wealthy. Um, they uh, will start having a deficit uh, of working age uh, people if they don't change policies um, in the next five years. Um, they can they can deal with that to a degree by changing migration patterns and bringing back some of the labor they've exported. They're an authoritarian state, so it's easier to do that. Um, but still, within 10 years' time, the challenges of how China will continue to grow and how they will effectively restructure their economy to deal with demographics that are going to be very deeply destabilizing for that government. At the same time, the technology will be taking jobs away um, from advanced manufacturing sectors um, and uh, and making them much less efficient if they don't actually move towards automation in all of those areas. That's going to be a big problem for what will, at that point, be the world's largest economy. We could talk about this for hours. The point is that, you know, you pick, pick different countries, and I can tell you where the demographics are going. It's one of the few things that you have a pretty good handle on for five, for ten years, and understanding where the opportunities, where the challenges are going to be. Still to come on The World Ahead, we'll look in more detail at some specific examples of the complex and varied global picture that Ian Bremmer's been describing, starting next in Japan. Not just at Monocle, but many around the world look to Japan when it comes to seeking inspirational ideas for keeping older people at the heart of social life. Fiona Wilson is Monocle's Tokyo bureau chief, and Kenji Hall, Monocle's Asia editor-at-large. We asked them why they think it is that the world looks to their backyard. And I think, you know, when, when you're thinking about Japan, so much of what goes on at the moment is relating to Japan's demographic. It's a crisis, really. I mean, the statistics are not good for Japan. The population is looking, it will shrink 30% um, by 2060. The elderly ratio is expected to hit 40% at the same time. So really, everything is the economy, consumer products. People are really looking at how do we deal with this aging society? Yeah, and I think there's a lot of attention on Japan because Japan is one of three countries that is defined as a super-aged society, which is uh, at least a fifth of the population is 65 or older. So there's uh, a lot of opportunities um, for the economy, but also uh, a lot of challenges in, in social services and, th- and areas like that. And also what happens in Japan is going to happen everywhere else in Asia. I mean, the trend, in Japan is ahead of the curve in a way, but, but you know, you see the same demographic trend in Singapore, South Korea, Taiwan, ev- everyone's catching up. So people are looking to Japan, the solutions that Japan finds um, could solve problems in other places. And, you know, one of the things that people have been talking about a lot here is bringing more women into the uh, workplace. 
get more women into the workforce, and that could in some ways uh, resolve some of the uh, issues about uh, the aging population. And the other issue is immigrants, um, you know, whether Japan will actually open its doors to more immigrants to bring in um, more young people. I mean, it's a, it's a big question at this point. We wanted to find out more about Japan's ageing population and the country's reputation for inspiring its elders and drawing inspiration from them. Fiona and Kenji headed out of the Monocle Bureau and headed for Jizodori in Tokyo, a focus for the city's older people. So Kenji and I today, we're standing on Jizodori. It's a very famous street in Sugamo in Tokyo. Um, it's also known as Granny's Harajuku. And anyone who knows Tokyo, Harajuku is where all the, uh, the young kids hang out. This is where the grannies are hanging out in Tokyo. It's a street that's totally catering to the older generation. All the shops are geared towards older people. And it's full of older people. I mean, I think, you know, one of the things is we're interested in how come Japanese people are so living so long and so well. You know, you've got a very, very elderly population now. A quarter of the population is a uh, pensionable age. Uh, and it's only going to get bigger. I think they're saying 40% by 2060. So what is it that the Japanese are doing? And you look around, for a start, very active. Everyone is around here walking on bikes, you know, and then you look at the food that's on sale here, seaweed, they're eating curry udon, these noodles, very good food. Um, there are some unhealthy treats which we're interested in. The, uh, Anybody with a sweet tooth will uh, go for the shiodaifuku, which is a, um, it's kind of a, a soft rice dessert with, um, filled with sweet uh, red bean paste. And also we're standing outside a temple which is... I mean, it's full of people. Basically, people come here um, and they like to rub a statue of Jizo. Jizo is uh, a bodhisattva on his way to being enlightened. Um, and uh, this is the idea is that this is a temple where you can be healed. So if you have a sore knee, you rub the knee of the Jizo. It's a very big statue and hopefully you'll feel a lot better. And there are lots of people here doing that. And there's a line. There's actually a queue to, to do the rubbing. Shall we go over there? Yeah, let's go. Along Jizodori, we meet Ichiro Mori. The 59-year-old came here with his wife from Chiba, the neighboring prefecture to the east of Tokyo. And he tells us that he's in the neighborhood because its low-key style suits the elderly person. It's my first time at Jizodori. My first impression is that the shops target elderly customers. Clothes for elderly women, walking sticks, rolling shopping carts, those items you wouldn't find in the usual neighborhood shopping arcade. It's a well-organized shopping street, and it's low-key. Usually, streets like these are a bit more lively. But when you're in your 50s, 60s and older, you want a place that's more laid-back, so you can browse and window shop at your leisure. Okay, we've walked into the temple, which is called Koganji. I would say... There's at least 50, 60 people in line, uh, and they're all waiting very patiently to um, pour water over the statue. And then um, there, there are differing uh, versions of what you're supposed to do. One is that you're supposed to rub the statue in, in the parts where, where you have your own ailments. The other uh, version is that you rub the statue and then rub it on your ailing body, body parts. I was just thinking, one thing you notice here is a sort of sense of community, and I think that's got a lot to do with longevity in Japan, you know. Minoru Hadada and his wife Keiko are both in their late 60s. They've come to the statue with just one thing in mind, the hope for divine intervention to help cure their ailments. 
My wife comes and rubs a statue to wish for better health. Her leg isn't well. We came from Nagano Prefecture, pretty far from here. This is the fifth or sixth time we've been here. We love the downtown feel of this part of Tokyo. It's an area for older folks. Perfect for us. <laughs> to get the lowdown on food, we head next to Omino Yakata, a health food shop, where staff member Yoichi Umeda guides us through the products on offer. Lots of people who come to visit the temple down the street usually have some ailments that they want help healing. Those are the kinds of people who might have high blood pressure or blood sugar problems. So we thought it would be great to have a tasty food that's also really good for you. We get lots of elderly customers. There are lots walking around here in their 90s who'll ask me, how old do I look? They come here and get energized. That's the kind of place this is. And this is what motivates us. In that regard, we think of our shop playing an important role on this street. We are known for our stewed ginger from Kochi Prefecture in South Japan. Also, we sell a ginger and cane sugar powder for drinks and cooking that's made in Okinawa in the south. And we have shajimi clams in their shells from Aomori up north that you can use to make instant broth for miso soup and other things. They're all very popular. So there's plenty of food to buy on the street. We just passed an unagi restaurant which sells uh, eel. Um, grilled eel, and that's great for stamina. Um, a tea shop, very popular place here. There's, a, there's also a seaweed shop. And in front of us, we have the Shio Daifuku, uh, the wagashi or Japanese dessert shop. And this is the oldest one on the strip. It's called Mizuno, and they specialize in Shio Daifuku, which is um, pounded rice cake with red bean paste in the middle. And this one in particular is sort of strange because it has salt in it. Um, to sort of offset the sweetness of the dessert. Um, you know, you can just stand here and every minute or so, a customer walks up and buys a bag of, of the desserts on display. And someone rather cheekily just pointed out to me that the great thing about it is that you don't need any teeth to eat it because it's so soft. Should we give it a go? Hi. <laughs> Kenji, I think it's time to um, get your teeth around some of this uh, sweet, sticky paste here. Okay, I'm going to try some as well. What's the verdict? You know, it's not sweet at all, I have to say. Barely sweet. I think that is a, you know, something that's also interesting about older Japanese people. I've noticed that they're quite measured when it comes to sweeties, not like us Brits. Um, I think it's rather good, very chewy. I was a bit concerned because mochi, which people eat at New Year, is very bad for old people and somebody usually chokes on it at New Year. This is actually really delicious. Um, it's, it's soft, not, certainly not savoury, but there's a sweeter bean, bean paste in the middle and I think, yeah, it's a good combination. I like it. No wonder there are crowds of people, and there are, queuing up for this stuff. Monocle's Fiona Wilson and Kenji Hall reporting from Tokyo. Still to come on The World Ahead, we continue our analysis of the global differences when it comes to inspiring senior citizens, and we'll consider some of the commercial implications of ageing.
Ben Page is the CEO of leading UK market research and polling company Ipsos Mori, a man who knows more than a thing or two about looking to the future and understanding changing times. What does Ben make of the differing challenge of ageing around the world and what are some of the key commercial implications? There are, you know, there are pockets of California where there are loads of 70-year-olds who are like 30-year-old English people or whatever. But overall, um, actually, attitudes to ageing aren't changing anywhere near as fast as the demography. So the average age of a Harley-Davidson purchaser now, I think, is about 55. You know, it is not a youthful, trendy purchase. It's something that a baby boomer buys. But advertisers still haven't woken up to the fact that people are really, really are living longer. I mean, I'm still amazed at how many consumer goods companies and the Hello clients um, are still really only interested in people aged under 60, when in fact, of course, some of the fastest growing groups are the over, are the over 70s and who are remarkably mobile and their tastes may be much more flexible than in previous generations. The idea in the past has been that, you know, your tastes are pretty much set by the time you're 50 and you aren't going to change your brand of toothpaste or your brand of washing powder or anything else. The evidence is that that's changing and I think marketeers have a cult of youth. They really need to get over it. We've just done a study for an outfit called the Centre for Better Ageing and what's really interesting is that obviously when you're older, things that are going to be important are having enough money to live on because traditionally older people have had squeezed incomes once they stop work, Um, being in reasonable health. um, After the age of 45, the amount, the concern about money goes down and down and down and concern about health goes up and up and up and I speak as a 50-year-old. But what was really interesting when we looked at this data is the biggest challenge is not money or health, but actually your connections. And for men in particular, um, if, you're, if you get older and your entire being is about your work, when you stop work and if you haven't got a great network of friends, you're going to be lonely and then your quality of life will suffer. And we, one of the things that we do, and this perhaps is my trend for 2016, governments all over the world are telling people to eat more fruit and vegetables and to take more exercise. And those are the right things. But actually, as we get older, one of the things that's going to insulate you from the effects of old age is actually having a really good social network and keeping active. So making friends is something that everybody ought to do more of in 2016. And that will do more for the sum of human happiness than earning more money. Ben Page was talking there about the importance of social cohesion and catering for older people's requirements. He also stressed the necessity of being social and how that can shape or reshape quality of life. This ties into some themes that Monocle's editor-in-chief Tyler Brule and editor Andrew Tuck also believe are critical in challenging received thinking about older people's role in society. Tyler explains that, as we heard from Tokyo earlier, there are lessons to be learnt by the West from Asian countries and communities. I think one other aspect that we might have left out is also the the multi-generational component as well. And I think that is a model that the state is going to have to look to. I think even in, in the private sector, the companies, I think, will have to think more about multi-generational. So it, no one would question in a Scandinavian company or pretty much in any European company to say, oh, you know, is it okay if I rush home because you know my nanny is sick, um, my, you know, my, my kid's not well? No one really questions that. It's still a slightly different conversation. I have to take my dad to the hospital. Um, my my grand, you know, my grandmother's not well. That that would not fly in the same way. And why not? But I, I don't think that would necessarily be the case in an Asian context. I, you know, you, you hear it all the time. I've, I've heard of so many friends in Japan where, it, it's of course, it's acceptable to go and take a leave absence because you've got to go look after your mother for a while. And so I think that we, we need a bit of a gear shift, I think, in that area. It was interesting. We did a, a story about a, a place in Brazil where 
you can drop your parents off in the morning when you're going to work. So if you've ended up in a position of being a carer or offering support during the day and you know your mum needs to have a kind of social life and doesn't want to be stuck at home all day, on the way to work, you drop your mum off at an amazing kind of uh, centre where they get lots of activities, they meet other people, they have a, a busy day, and then when you come home, you pick them up again. So the, also that, that idea that I think in the West, many people feel that you know, they feel very stressed when parents get to a much older age and do need some support, that suddenly they have to do everything on their own. Well, there should be a whole network, just as you have you know, kindergartens and and places where you can drop your kids off and that same kind of like uh, balance that Tyler's talking about there should be facilities where you, you know support systems so you can also keep hold of your daily job but look after your parents well I think there's this three calls to action if I was you know, anyone involved looking at property development looking at opportunities in the marketplace uh, and, and really thinking about the workplace in general, I think we need a shift in media. The narrative has to change. And that's not just the way a, an editorial organization treats the subject. But I think it's also for, for advertisers and brands to realize, you know, please stop talking down to people uh, who have just passed 60, who have just passed 65. I think that uh, there is, there's something else. We did a wonderful story uh, about a gentleman, uh, Benedict Hench, based in Geneva, who's done this incredible park and also this very interesting live workspace. And he's all also has this idea that how you could you know you could have an apartment uh, but then you could almost trade within the same building when you do want to downsize uh, and maybe your space at one point has three desks in it uh, you know you know through a separate door in your apartment uh, but then you know later on that can become the apartment for your mom uh, if she moves in so I think we need to look at property development in a different way and then I, I think the third thing is just you know what is the what is the the metabolism, what's the narrative uh, for, for daily life? And we need to shift it away from not just you know, so much focus on, on children, but realizing there's also a generation above us who are just as, as important as well. And, and, it's, and it's amazing. You know, at a time we're always looking at opportunities, these are, are three very, very glaring examples that are in front of us. Tyler Brule's threefold call to action makes for interesting listening. And the shifting narrative in terms of the daily life of the older generation has few more encouraging and innovative exemplars than that we'll hear about next when we head to Austria. Like many other European countries, Austria is facing a rapidly ageing population, with more and more elderly people being consigned to a life of solitude at home or in care facilities. But there is plenty of opposition to that trend. In Vienna, a cafe called Volpension, a play on the term full board, is trying to turn the situation around by solving its staffing problem with some senior ladies. Monocle's man in the Austrian capital, Alexei Koryalov, investigates. Launched in 2012 as a pop-up project by two jeans designers, Moritz Piffel and Michael Lana, Volpension has outlasted everyone's expectations. Why? Well, according to the pair, that's because the best cake is one made by your granny. The Grundüberlegung war ganz einfach: Wo gibt's die beste Mäschbas? Nicht im Sacher oder in der Kurkonditorei, sondern bei der Oma oder bei der Tante. The project grew and grew and now Volpension finally has a fixed location in a hip gallery stretch in central Vienna, as well as a new team. Hey, I'm Hanna, uh, Hanna Lux. I am um, CEO of Volpension and Managing Director. Um, I think there is a lot of empowerment going on for people that are normally like 
Hannah is a social entrepreneur who had helped to start up several successful projects before she came to Folpension in June last year. Um, for us it was very important that we really move into the middle of the city, like in the very center. People don't know um, the term social entrepreneurship yet so well, or social business. And you're very often kind of like put into the corner, um, like that you're a social project and you're doing something good. And yes, we are, but not only, right? So for us it's very important to show and to prove um, a different kind of business. Um, and so that's why we wanted to be right in the center um, that people see us that they are like wow what is this and very often still now people are walking in and you kind of like feel also in the atmosphere that this um, this thing that we created here indeed Folpension isn't quite how you imagine a typical Viennese cafe on the walls old family photos and tapestries all around big comfy sofas and yes grannies making and serving food Christina is what they call a hostess granny. She says she learned about Vollpension from a TV report and jumped at the opportunity. Maria works in the kitchen where she bakes cakes and pastries. She took a job at Vollpension at her grandson's suggestion and she says she's happy. I'm very glad to come here every week. You get to meet nice new people and it makes you feel fulfilled because you are doing something useful. That's exactly what you need when you are retired. Hmm. Managing the grannies is Julia Krenmeier. So, um, first of all, our grannies, uh, they are like between 60 and 73 years, I would say. So they are really people who are retired, but they really still are fit and healthy and can do things. And I think there are more, more aspects to that. One of it is that um, people in Europe are getting older and older because we have a good social system, healthcare system. And on the same time, uh, you have a lot of companies who say, okay, we don't want to work with old people because there are many prejudices. And this is something where we really want to create this, uh, these jobs with this positive energy and really show, okay, there are people out there who still can do a great work. And maybe it's not what they used to do in their lives, but they like to bake cakes in our example, um, and so let's create jobs for them. Mm. And is that statement being heard by other people and other companies? Do you think that you're really making an impact? <laughs> Good question. Yes, I think we do. And I think there is a lot of potential um, bringing it out there more to the government and, and to other companies. But for us, it's also very important that you live what you preach, kind of. We started um, in June with 30 employees and this was quite something I would say because more uh, than half of them are elderly people. Both Julia and Hannah agree however that there is still a long way to go for them and sometimes it's hard to stay focused what with all the data grind. 
every day walk into this um, business here um, and you know sometimes I'm thinking like man what are we doing I'm thinking about what soup we are serving next week right what I actually want to do is change the world <laughs> to put it in a bigger way right I really believe that we need to change the way we are doing business if you're looking around in the world what's going on at the moment I think you can feel it see it we cannot go on doing business excluding somehow the human perspective um, and I think Vollpension is a very very clear example and basic simple example uh, it seems <laughs> um, of how it could be done in a different way that business could be quite a good means of also changing something in this world for Monaco in Vienna I'm Alexi Korolov Alexei Koryalov on Vienna's Volpension, a fresh take on keeping older people active and very much involved in commercial and social city living. The kind of human perspective and spirit of social entrepreneurship we were hearing about in Vienna is something that Jeffrey Saunders, director at the Copenhagen Institute for Future Studies, was also keen to talk about in this context. Jeffrey ties in the issue to other trends that the world ahead is discussing, changes in urbanisation and the growth of smart cities. He also stresses that shifts in demographics, like so much else, are market dependent. This really depends on the market you're you're talking about and things being positional because you have some markets germany japan which are at the forefront of the aging um wave you look at it and, it, and you have the same discussion and and without with smart city development and urbanization you have if i take if i pull back a little bit and we talk about urbanization first and we could talk about aging second if you have um you know, to talk about urbanization and development and migration of people from, from um, rural areas to the city. I mean, developing countries, they're already, they're already there. Of course, urbanization is going to continue. It's going to have a profound effect in European and developed countries. Um, but there you're looking at urbanization into pretty much already developed urban centers. And you have an urban development from second and third tier cities into major met- metropolitan areas and the areas surrounding those. So in developed countries, you're talking about urbanization into pre-existing um, built areas. And in certain circumstances, um, not only do you have to think about smart city development for these pre-existing infrastructure, but you also have to talk about it for um, areas that are in decline. Now, if you go to emerging markets, in many of the areas, it's new greenfield construction, you know, talking about building 600, 700 new cities of 1 million or more persons to deal with the influx of people um, moving into urban areas globally. So you have that development. You have aging of the population, uh, getting back to that, is an issue that's also, it depends uh, on where you're at, what it means. Yes, as a world, we're growing older in Europe, and um, to a lesser extent, the United States, and also in, in Japan and, and China, the populations are growing older. And it depends on what level of economic growth you have, how you're able to respond for it, to it. One aspect with China is, is that they are um, growing older faster than they are growing 
you know, potentially growing wealthy. So even though they're going to be growing to, depending on how you cut the economic cake, to being uh, the first, the second, or the third largest economy um, globally by 2030, um, they're also going to be uh, an older population. So they have the challenge of proportionally growing themselves old before they grow themselves rich. Um, you take to um, an area like Europe, one of the challenges that they have is you have a relatively wealthier population than the rest of the world. Um, we have a challenge of growth. At the same time, we have the aging population, and it causes a challenge about how do you entice investments into the European marketplace where you have a lot of European companies saying, where's the market growth going to come from? And you see a challenge in Europe of linked to that uh, uh, a decline in, in foreign direct investment and also investments coming from um, intra-European investments. Jeffrey Saunders. And that is all we have time for on this edition of The World Ahead with Allianz. You'll hear more about the issues Jeffrey was just discussing in the next episodes of the programme. So tune in again when we explore the role that megacities can and will play in our changing world. And when we consider the enduring power of simple, why making things and eschewing complexity could be the answer to the planet's greatest challenges. Listen again and find out more at the World Ahead page at monocle.com forward slash radio or catch up via iTunes. The World Ahead with Allianz on Monocle 24. Oh, 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 oh,